The State of the Union Address is a speech usually delivered annually by the President of the United States to a joint session of Congress. And the purpose of such an address is really twofold. Number one, it gives the President an opportunity to report on the condition of the nation. And number two, it allows the President to outline his legislative agenda. Although I'm not the President of anything, I want you to know that, and our church is certainly not Congress. Many years ago, early in my ministry, I decided to take one Sunday a year, either the last one of the departing year or the first one of the new year, to give what I call the State of the Church Address. And the purpose of such an address is to give really a unique message a different kind of message to you as a congregation so that rather than a verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture, which you usually get, the state of the church address is a message in which I briefly report on some of the highlights that have taken place at Lakeside over the past year, and then I share my heart with you about some weakness that I see in our church that I would like to see addressed and corrected in the upcoming year so that this weakness is then turned into a strength. And so to begin with, here are some of the highlights at Lakeside in the year 2023 in the form of statistics. It was a year in which 60 people joined our church in membership, which is rather a high number, unusually high number. 60 people joined our church in membership. It was also a year in which we saw 13 people publicly confess their faith in Christ in the waters of baptism. In addition, there were seven new babies born to the families of our church and 12 child dedications. There were also three deaths in our church and an additional 11 deaths of those related to members of our church. There was an average of 50 children in our children's ministries on Sunday mornings with anywhere from 65 to 80 children. And 65 to 80, I should say, participated. 50 were in the Sunday mornings, but 65 to 80 children participated in our Awana program, which meets on Wednesday nights, while our youth group averaged about 60 students each Wednesday night. And one of the highlights of the year for our youth ministry was summer camp with 100 students attending and an additional 50 who ministered at staff at camp. Our Wednesday night and Thursday mornings Insight for Women's Bible Study had another great year with an average attendance of about 100 women as they closed out the year with the diligent study of the book of Revelation. And our early Friday morning men's study also had a very good year with about 30 in attendance and also 20 to 25 men regularly attending the Monday night men's study with a number of other people in our church who were part of a few home fellowships and studies that meet in our community. In addition, Lakeside Christian School experienced God's blessings with 340 students enrolled this past year and the anticipation of 380 students for next year. And verse-by-verse radio, which I seldom talk about, but I will now because it's fitting, verse-by-verse radio continued its outreach covering 22 counties 
in central Florida being heard from Fort Myers to Gainesville and from Clearwater to the other side of Orlando. And a remarkable statistic of this ministry is that based on the best listener data available, it is estimated that Verse by Verse Radio is heard by about 100,000 listeners each week each week here in the central Florida area. And in addition to being heard in Florida, well, we give the Lord his glory. This radio program is also being broadcast on Saturday nights on a radio station in Connecticut, which covers the greater Hartford area, which has a population of over 2 million people. And a ministry of Lakeside that you may not be familiar with is an app called Sermon Audio. People can download sermons from that app from doctrinally sound Bible teachers from all over the world, literally all over the world. You have to sort of have a doctrinal standard to join this. Well, we joined this app nine years ago, and since that time, there have been over 48,000 downloads of Lakeside Sermons, and this past year... People from 41 states and 34 foreign nations, including nations that are literally closed to the gospel, downloaded over 3,000 sermons from the Lakeside Pulpit. Also, while we have no way of knowing how many people actually watch our live stream telecast because there could be a bunch of people together gathered in a room, we do know that on average there are about 100 views each Sunday this, from this past year, and over 1,500 subscribers to this ministry with people not only watching from the United States, but also from Canada, India, Australia, the United Kingdom, South Africa, and Singapore. I wonder who's watching in Singapore. I'd like to know them. Now, folks, I understand these are just some of the statistics of our church, and they're very good statistics. They're very, they're very positive statistics, but they're only statistics. Statistics don't tell the whole story. Only eternity will reveal the impact, the impact that the ministries of our church have had upon individuals. Numbers don't always tell the story, but eternity will reveal the impact that the ministries of this church have had on individuals. And only eternity will reveal the impact that the missionaries we support around the world have had in the lives of people they've ministered to. And only eternity will reveal the impact of the missions trips and the training of nationals through SOS ministries that the people of Lakeside have been involved in. In addition, 2023 was a year in which a multitude of other ongoing Lakeside-sponsored ministries took place in our church that really are far too numerous for me to mention by name, so I don't want to leave any out, but there were many, many ministries that have gone on, and I can assure you that they have continued to function with the blessings of God upon them. And how many individual lives were meaningfully ministered to this last year through you, the, the members of our church. How many people did you touch in your life? Only God knows and only eternity will reveal. Now on a personal note, the year 2023 was a rather difficult year for me health-wise. Not only did I have open heart surgery, which took me away from you for a number of months, but I also had to have, and some of you know this, some don't, but I had to have a procedure to blast a massive kidney stone that apparently had been growing in me maybe my whole life because it was that huge and I didn't know it. 
It was also a year in which, and this will be new for some of you because I've not said this publicly, but I've said some people know this, that I was diagnosed with a condition known as silent acid reflux, which is the cause of my chronic cough. It's treated, it's controlled by foods that I eat. Now, going back to our church, I view the year 2023 as a great year for Lakeside, a year in which God's gracious blessings continue to be poured out upon us as a church as he uses us, has used us, and we trust he will continue to use us to advance his kingdom. But now turning to what I'd like to see take place at Lakeside in this upcoming year, I do have a specific burden, a very real burden that I'm going to share with you today. It has been a burden on my heart for some time now, but only recently did it seem to crystallize in my mind as to how to properly address this burden so that we can correct this weakness and turn it into a strength of our church. It all came together for me actually just a few weeks ago following our granddaughter Abby's wedding. Michelle and I had the privilege of housing some of Abby and Will's friends who were here for the wedding, and in the providence of God, I had the opportunity to drive the three of them to the airport on Saturday morning following the wedding as they returned to their homes in Louisville, Kentucky. And just to make conversation with them, I really had no agenda as to what to say. I was just trying to make conversation. I asked each of them, a married couple and a young man, what they would be doing when they returned home. And each of them told me that they would be getting together with their small home group from their church and how excited they were about this. Being with the people in their small home group was something they were really, really looking forward to. Now, even though this married couple and this young man went to two different churches in the Louisville area, they were equally enthusiastic about being a part of a small home group in their respective churches. And then I remembered how my granddaughter, Abby, had told me that what excited her most about her church in Louisville which I might add was also different from the other two churches that her friends attended. What most excited her about her church was being a part of a small group that met in somebody's home on a regular basis. So now I was aware of three different small home groups in three different churches where the people involved were very excited about being a part of such a group. Now, although here at Lakeside, we do have a few small home groups who meet regularly, we don't have a mechanism in place whereby the vast majority of our congregation can be a part of a small home group. And for years, I have felt that this is a glaring weakness of our church. I have longed for a ministry of multitudes of small home groups throughout our community so that everyone at Lakeside has the opportunity to be involved in one. But frankly, I didn't know how to organize something of this magnitude so that everyone in the church would be studying the same exact material and be on the same exact page. And so here's where it all came together in my mind. Here's where the light turned on in my head. It was when I saw how doable this could be at Lakeside. 
It happened when I asked the young people in my car what they discussed in their small groups, what material they used, and they all said the same thing. We discuss the pastor's sermon we heard in church last Sunday. Folks, that is when I realized how small home groups could work and be a reality at Lakeside. We would meet in various homes across our community where the major focus of our getting together, but certainly not the only aspect of the evening, but the major focus of our getting together would be to talk about how to apply Sunday's sermon to our lives. In other words, we would interact with each other around the Word of God and how to put what we heard on Sunday into practice. And so this morning, I want to share with you this vision, this burden I have for small home groups to become a major part of our church's culture. I've already shared this vision with the elders, and they're all behind it. And the way I'm going to present this to you is by sharing with you two thoughts. Thought number one being why we need small groups. That's going to be the brunt of what I have to say this morning, why we need small groups. Thought number two is how we plan to go about establishing these small groups. So let's begin by looking at why we need small groups at Lakeside. Now the reason I'm starting here with why we need small groups is because I realize that the only way you, the individuals who make up the congregation at Lakeside, will ever be interested and excited about being a part of a small home group is if you believe that it meets a need in your life. You see, one of the realities of life is that people only do things that they are motivated to do. And being motivated comes from seeing a need in your life. And so I'd like to tell you how a small home group will meet not one, but several important needs that you actually have. First of all, a small home group meets the need you have to be connected to others in this church. Recently, I met with a man who's been a member of our church for several years now, and in the course of our conversation, he told me that he had attended a number of churches prior to joining our church, but he said that Lakeside was the hardest church for him to connect with other people. He just found it very difficult to build relationships with others in our church. And it wasn't because he's introverted. It's not because he finds it hard to socially interact with others. In fact, just the opposite is the case. This man is very easy to talk to. He interacts extremely well with other folks. Now, immediately, what this man said painfully registered with me. Because the point he brought up, I'm afraid, is a very valid one. There's no doubt in my mind that Lakeside is a very, very special church filled with people who have a love for the Lord, a love for His Word. We're a church that takes sound doctrine seriously. We're a church that understands the importance of verse-by-verse Bible teaching. And so we gather on Sunday mornings, we gather on Sunday nights, which very few churches do, but we gather to hear God's Word preached. But then what? Then what? What happens after the church service? You leave this building, you go home or you go out to to lunch, and if you don't have a group of friends in the congregation, then it means that you often have no contact with anyone from this church the rest of the week until you return next Sunday and do the same thing all over again. 
Folks, that's not how God has designed his church to function. The church isn't supposed to be a once a week experience, but rather the church is a body of believers, a family of believers in Christ who are supposed to regularly interact with one another, who are supposed to connect with one another, who are supposed to do life together as they share their burdens, their concerns, their problems, their struggles, their difficulties, their temptations, their prayer requests, so that they can mutually care for one another. That's what the church is supposed to be according to the New Testament. As important as it is to be in church on Sunday to hear the Word of God, Sunday morning meetings are not conducive to mutually caring for one another. There are just limitations on Sunday meetings that just don't allow us to meaningfully connect and minister to one another. Sure, you can say hi to each other, you can greet one another, but you can't really mutually minister to one another. There are just limitations. In a book I have about small groups, one pastor honestly admitted how inadequate Sunday services are for showing mutual care for one another. After mentioning several verses of scripture that command us to care for one another, this pastor said this, and I quote, he said, in a Sunday morning meeting, there are obvious limitations on our ability to express this kind of care. If I'm in the middle of a message and notice someone start to cry in the seventh row back, I can't stop preaching and go minister to that individual. I'd like to, but it wouldn't serve the entire church. In a small group context, though, we are not so limited. Here we can both give and receive personal care. No one need be overlooked or neglected. Now, I realize that there are some people in our church who may not want to connect with others. They're perfectly content to sit in church each Sunday, hear the sermon, and that's as far as they want their involvement to be. I get it. I understand that. However, I'm convinced that most of you, the vast majority of you, don't want to settle for that. You don't want to settle for that. That you do want to have meaningful relationships with others in the church. That you do want to be able to share your problems and struggles with others. That you would love to have other people take an interest in you and you in them. That's why you need to be a part of a small home group where you can experience all of this and so much more. Listen, according to the New Testament, all of us in Christ, we're pilgrims on our way to heaven. We're just foreigners, aliens on a journey to a better country. And therefore, we need to help one another along on this journey because this journey is not easy. It's hard and it's filled with trials and pains and sufferings and a lot of tears. And we need one another to help carry our burdens and our cares. This is why when the apostles penned their New Testament letters addressed to congregations of local churches, they had so much to say about our relationships with one another and how we are to treat one another, how we are to help one another. I want you to consider the following commands. I'm only going to mention the commands and not go into any explanation of them because they're really self-explanatory, but I want you to consider the following commands in the New Testament letters telling us our responsibility towards one another. Romans 12.10 tells us to be devoted to one another. Romans 12.15 tells us to rejoice with one another and to weep with one another. Romans 15.14 tells us to counsel one another. 1 Corinthians 12.25 tells us to care 
for one another. Galatians 5.13 tells us to serve one another. Galatians 6.2 commands us to carry one another's burdens. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 tells us to encourage one another. Hebrews 10.24 tells us to spur one another on or to stimulate one another. James 5.16 tells us to confess our sins to one another. And James 5.16 also tells us to pray for one another. Now folks, these commands, which are commands, not suggestions, these are divine commands, can possibly be lived out on a Sunday morning in church. They can only be lived out if you have meaningful relationships with others in the church and are able to interact with them outside of a Sunday service. These commands can only be carried out if you are connected to one another and are in a setting that is naturally conducive to opening up and sharing with one another. And that's exactly what small home groups do. They create an environment. They create a context. They create a setting that naturally encourages interacting with others so that you know what's going on in their life. They know what's going on in your life so that you will know then how to mutually care for one another. This is really the essence of what the New Testament refers to as fellowship. Sadly, though, so few Christians know what true fellowship is, let alone experience it. So what is fellowship? What does the word even mean? We throw that word around a lot, but what does fellowship mean? Well, the word fellowship is a translation of the Greek word koinonia, which simply means to share. It means to participate together. It is the concept of a community, our middle name, I might add. It is the concept of a community in the sense that people in a community share something in common. They have a commonality, which is the very thing that makes a community a community, something in common. Here's a good explanation of Christian fellowship by a pastor I recently read. He said, what is fellowship as defined in the New Testament? Just this, participating together in the life and truth made possible by the Holy Spirit through our union with Christ. Fellowship is sharing something in common on the deepest possible level of human relationship, our experience of God himself. Now, there are lots of things that we have in common with many other people, and we can share and and talk to others about these things. Like what? Well, if you're in those years of life where you're raising children, you talk to other parents who are raising children. Or if you're older, uh, grandparenting, you have that in common. Or perhaps a love for a certain sport or a team or a similar career, the experience of being in school, a similar hobby, things of that nature, things you have in common with others. You can do that with anybody, Christian or non-Christian, as long as they share similar interests with you. However, only believers in Christ can experience Christian fellowship because only believers in Christ experience certain spiritual realities that are uniquely common to them, which nobody outside of Christ even understands or can relate to. And that's what makes our fellowship with other believers so precious and something we so desperately need. Listen to what the Word of God says about our fellowship with one another. 
The Apostle John wrote these words in 1 John, his first letter, chapter 1, verse 3. This is basically how he opened the letter. He said, what we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, what John is saying in this statement is that he and his fellow apostles, he says we, his fellow apostles, have come to an understanding of the truth and salvation. How? How they come to understand this? By observing Christ's life and Christ's teaching. They saw him, they heard him, they were with him. And as a result, they now, John says, they now have fellowship with God the Father and with God the Son, Christ. And they didn't keep the truth about Christ and salvation to themselves. He says they proclaimed it to others so that these others also may have fellowship not only with the Father and with the Son, but with them as well, meaning with whom? The apostles, other believers. In other words, once we are saved, not only do believers have fellowship with God, but we also have fellowship with other believers as well. And folks, that fellowship necessitates that we share. That's the meaning of fellowship, to share. We share our understanding of the truths about Jesus with one another, and that involves our wrestling and struggling with how to apply biblical truths to our lives. Listen to these meaningful words from theologian J.I. Packer on how Christian fellowship works and why we all need it. Packer said this, he said, fellowship is a sharing with our fellow believers the things that God has made known to us about himself in hope that we may help them to know him better and so enrich their fellowship with him. Fellowship is secondly, a seeking to share what God has made known of himself to others as a means to finding strength, refreshment, and instruction for one's own soul. So, This kind of meaningful sharing, it's never going to take place on a Sunday morning in church. The service isn't designed for that. It's designed for corporate worship, for the hearing of the Word of God preached. For true fellowship to take place, you have to be, as I've said, you have to be in a setting where you are free to exchange and share your thoughts about a biblical truth and about any struggles you might be having with how to apply this biblical truth to your life. This is how our thinking sharpens, how our mind improves, becomes sharper spiritually. And this is how our souls are stimulated, our souls are refreshed. And that is precisely why we need small home groups where you can meet with other believers and experience these benefits from fellowship. This is why Solomon wrote in Proverbs 27 verse 17, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It is our fellowship with one another, Solomon says, that improves our biblical thinking, which leads to improving our character. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon again wrote of the benefits of fellowship when he said this in Ecclesiastes 4, verses 9 through 11. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they keep warm. But how can one be warm alone? Now Solomon says that two are better than one for a number of reasons. But one of those being that each can lift the other one up when they fall. 
Now, this not only applies to us when we physically fall and we help somebody get up physically, but it also applies to us when we fall spiritually, when we sin, when we're in danger of falling spiritually. We need others around us to know our temptations, to know our struggles so that they can help us from falling into sin or can lift us up and restore us when we do fall into sin. And that's why we need small home groups where we can share freely with others and get their help and give them our help. So, the first reason why we need small home groups at Lakeside is because They meet the need that you have, each of you have, I have, to be connected with others in our church. But there's a second reason why we need small home groups at Lakeside, and that's because they help us to apply God's word to our lives. Now, I've given my life to the preaching of the word of God. For almost 43 years, this May will be 43 years, I've been proclaiming God's word to you, the people of Lakeside. So I would never minimize biblical preaching. I have taught expository preaching. I have written about that. It is running through my blood. I love that. That's the heart of my ministry. However, as important as preaching the word is, none of us grows spiritually simply because you hear the word of God preached. And no one grows spiritually simply because you understand the word of God that's been preached. You see, the way we grow spiritually is by, note this, applying God's Word to our lives, obeying Scripture by putting into practice biblical truth. That's how you grow. That's how you're sanctified. In fact, if we fail to apply Scripture to our lives, not only won't we grow in the Lord, but the only growth we'll have is an increase of deceiving ourselves into thinking we don't need to make any changes in our lives when we very much need to make changes in response to the truths of Scripture. James, in his little letter at the back of the New Testament, writes about this need to apply the Bible to our lives and the danger, he says, of self-deception if we don't apply it. Listen to what James writes. James chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. Now, James here exhorts us to be doers of the word, meaning that we should do what Scripture tells us to do rather than just hear what Scripture says and do nothing about it. In fact, James says, if all you do is hear the word of God and not obey it, then we deceive ourselves into thinking that we are morally better than we really are spiritually more advanced than we really are. And James illustrates this lack of applying the Bible to our lives by likening us to a man who looks at his face in the mirror, sees the many adjustments he needs to make in order to make himself look presentable, but instead of making these adjustments, he just walks away from the mirror and does what? He does nothing. And as a result, he deceives himself into thinking that he looks better then he really does because he has forgotten what the mirror revealed about how he actually looks. Perhaps these words from a noted Bible teacher will help you to see what James is saying and the importance of applying God's word to your life. 
He said, I don't know anybody who wakes up in the morning, looks in the mirror, and then leaves the house without making some strategic changes. In fact, most of us spend considerable time in front of the mirror each morning assessing the damages from the night before and making the necessary repairs. He said, according to an article I once saw in Newsweek, a typical man's lifetime will include a total of seven years in the bathroom. Much of that time will be spent looking in the mirror as we make increasingly futile attempts at damage control. Now, don't cancel me, but this statistic doesn't take into account how much time women spend looking in the mirror in order to address damage control. That's why I said, don't cancel me. But I think all of, us, all of us get the point. If you only listen to the Bible being taught week after week without applying it to your life, then you have deceived yourself into thinking that you are better off spiritually than you actually are because you haven't allowed the Word of God to change you. You think you're okay, but you're not okay because you haven't obeyed a Bible truth you heard in church. And while you have deceived yourself into thinking that you're all right spiritually, the reality is, is that you haven't deceived anyone else but yourself because you're not fooling anyone. Those who know you best, those who are closest to you, they know you're not growing spiritually. They can tell that. They know that you're only listening to sermons without applying them to your life. They know that you're only playing church and not taking your faith seriously. They know that you're not maturing in spiritual growth. They know that. You haven't deceived them. You've just deceived yourself. So what does this have to do with small home groups? Folks, it has everything to do with small home groups. You see, your small home group will be designed, we're going to design this to help you apply the Word of God to your life. This is the beauty of a small home group. It creates a natural setting where you'll be able to talk about last Sunday's sermon and discuss how to apply the truths you heard, how to implement them specifically in your life. This is precisely the point that the writer to the Hebrews makes when he states these now famous words in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. He said, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in this passage, God commands us again commands us to spur one another on to obey him by encouraging them to demonstrate love and to do good deeds, to do good works that reflect Christ. You see, this is how God has designed this whole process of sanctification. By sanctification, I mean spiritual growth. We need one another to help us to apply God's word to our lives. We need other believers to come alongside of us and to lovingly push us to obey biblical truth, to exhort us, to push us, to stimulate us, to spur us on. This is the reason the writer to the Hebrews gives for us getting together with other Christians. He tells us that we aren't to forsake assembling of ourselves together with one another. We must gather together, he says, in order to encourage one another. And the encouragement that he's talking about is the encouragement to obey Scripture. Listen, we all have struggles. We all have issues that we're wrestling with. 
We all have temptations where we need others to hold us accountable so that we don't give in to these temptations. We all have fears. We all have worries. And we need others in the body of Christ. We need one another to spur us on to do the right thing by applying biblical truth to these issues that we're battling with. And I propose to you that this kind of encouragement is generally not going to happen in church on Sundays. But it can and it will happen in a small home group setting. So why do you need to be a part of a small home group? You need it to help you to apply God's word to your life. And that's exactly how we're going to set up these small groups. Though there will certainly be a time given to prayer each time you meet. The emphasis though, the night that you meet, will be on applying the biblical truths you were taught in the most recent sermon. So think about this. Think about how wonderful it'll be to interact with other believers around the word of God. With the main goal being to apply it. Think of how much you will grow in the Lord. As I said, you don't grow by just knowing the truth. You don't grow by just hearing the truth. You grow by applying the truth. So think of how much you're going to grow in the Lord. Think about your relationship with Christ, how enriched it will be, how deepened it will be. Think about how pleased the Lord will be with your obedience to Him. This is why you need a small home group. Now, so far we've looked at two needs that small home groups will meet in your life. Number one, they will connect you with others in the church. Number two, they'll help you to apply God's word to your life. But there's a third reason why we need small home groups at Lakeside, and that is so that you will have opportunities to use your spiritual gifts. Now, we've been learning about spiritual gifts in our Sunday night services as we have been studying 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But for those of you not familiar with spiritual gifts, spiritual gifts are God-given abilities that the Holy Spirit bestows upon every believer for the purpose of enabling them to effectively serve him by ministering to others in the church. These gifts are not to be confused with natural talents, which everyone both saved and unsaved have. No, spiritual gifts are special endowments from the Holy Spirit that are given only to Christians, and they're given at the time of your conversion, and they're given for the sole purpose of ministering to other Christians. They're not given for your sake. They're given for the sake of others in the church to edify them, to minister to them. Now, while it would appear that the New Testament doesn't give us an exhaustive list of all the spiritual gifts, there's enough information given in the New Testament so that we know that these gifts are broken down into two categories. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts. And they include such supernatural empowerments as teaching or proclaiming God's word, imparting biblical wisdom and knowledge to others, helping others, showing mercy to others, encouraging others, leading others, trusting God for great things, administrative know-hows, and the gift of giving generously over and above what's expected. Those are some of the spiritual gifts that the New Testament speaks of. So, if you're a believer in Christ, then you have, you have one of these spiritual gifts. And most likely, you've been given by the Holy Spirit a unique combination of several of these gifts. And according to Paul, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, 7, the reason these gifts have been given to you is so that you would use them in serving others in the church. 
Paul said, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Paul says that when God gave you a gift, a spiritual gift of your conversion, he gave you that gift to use it for the good of others. And by others, he means other believers. Within the context of a small home group, it is very achievable to use your gift to minister in a smaller and more intimate setting. Listen, that's what all of us are supposed to be doing. Using our spiritual gifts for the common good of other believers. And a small group makes it possible for you to do that. So, why do we need a network of small home groups at Lakeside? Well, we need them so that we can connect with one another, as the New Testament says. We need them so they'll help us in applying God's Word to our lives, as the New Testament says. And as a result, we're going to grow more spiritually. We need them so that you have a natural setting in which to use your spiritual gift, as the New Testament says. Now, it's my hope It's my desire that after hearing all of this that you are chomping at the bit wondering, well, where do I sign up? How do I get involved in a small home group? And that brings me then to my second thought that I want to share with you about small home groups. And that is how we plan to go about establishing small home groups. Well, at this point, honestly, I don't know all of the specific logistics, the details of how we're going to go about establishing a network of church-wide small home groups. But what I do know and what I can share with you are the broad general strokes of what we plan to do to make these small home groups a reality at Lakeside. Pastor Jack Jenkins is going to take the lead in establishing this ministry. Jack will be assisted by Oliver Smith and by myself. We'll work together. And the next few months, we will be working to train men to lead these small home groups. We will be dividing the congregation into areas where you live and then establishing small groups in those areas. Now, at this point, we haven't worked out the times when these groups will be meeting. That's what we plan to do. There's a lot of planning To go into this, there's a lot of things we have to think through. So I ask you to pray for the Lord to give us wisdom as we work on the nuts and bolts of this plan. I am reminded of what the psalmist said, unless the Lord builds the house, they who labor, labor in vain. So we certainly want the Lord to be at the center of this, and I'm confident he is because everything I've shared with you this morning is based on New Testament truth. So pray for us. Pray for these small home groups to become a reality in our church. I would anticipate in the next few months you'll be hearing more about this. So we want these to spring up. We want the Lord to be glorified and his people effectively ministered to. So going back to this past year, overall I would say the year 2023 has been a good one for us at Lakeside. God has blessed us and I am thankful to him for that. But I want this next year to be even better as we work harder, as we work even more diligently than ever before to carry out ministry for Christ and his honor and his glory. And my desire and prayer is that ministry at Lakeside in the year 2024 will include a network of many, many functioning small home groups where you are connected with others, where you are helped 
in applying the scriptures to your life where you can use your spiritual gift to minister to others. And I hope that you'll join me in praying for this reality, for these small home groups to become a reality. And I hope that next year when I give the State of the Church Address, I'll have the joy of of sharing with you something about these small home groups. Now, this has been a message addressing issues related strictly to our, our church, our church family. But if you are not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, then these issues, I understand, they're totally irrelevant for you. They're totally irrelevant for you. There's only one relevant issue for you, and that is that you need Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord. He died on the cross on behalf of sinners in order to pay the penalty for sin so that upon repenting of their sin and trusting Him alone for their salvation, those who do this would be forgiven of all of their sins and guaranteed going to heaven when they die. If this has not yet been your experience, then I urge you, I exhort you, I, I plead with you to fall upon the mercy of God by repenting of your sin, which means forsaking your sin and turning to Christ, trusting Him alone for salvation. Tomorrow we start a new year. None of us are promised a new day. There's nothing in the Bible that says you will live tomorrow. Before the night is over, before this day is over, some of you may be dead. You don't know what the future holds. So don't think, well, I have all this time to make a decision for Christ. I have all this time to trust Him. You don't know how much time you have. So, that's why the Scripture says, today is the day of salvation. Today, if you hear His voice, don't harden your heart. You are in promise tomorrow. If you'd like to speak to one of our pastors about this, about turning to Christ for salvation, then just see me as we close the service. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for what we've been able to hear this morning. I pray, Lord, that what has been proclaimed will be received with receptive hearts. I do pray for the reality, Lord, of these many, many, many small home groups that people will be a part of. I I pray it will be one of the most exciting things of our church, one of the most exciting features of our church. And like the three young people that I know and others who are excited about their home small group, I pray that the people of Lakeside will be equally excited about theirs. So Lord, we lift this up to you. As I said in the message, I know that unless you build this, unless you're in this, it will be to no avail. So we trust that you're in this because everything that's been said has been based on your word. And Lord, we do pray for any here who have never trusted Christ. We pray that you'll open their hearts to the gospel. For any who are watching by live stream, we pray that you'll open their hearts to the gospel if they've never turned to Christ. And may this last day of this year be the first day of their new life in Christ. Draw them to yourself. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.